Going back to the other side of the log, he knelt down in the place where he had once prayed next to his father. He pulled the luger out of his jeans and set it on top of the log. The air was thick and dead with the heat and humidity. He looked at Jesus hanging from the cross and closed his eyes. He tried his best to picture God, but his thoughts kept wandering. He finally gave up, found it easier to imagine his parents looking down on him instead. It seemed as if his entire life, everything he'd ever seen or said or done had led up to this moment. Alone at last, with the ghost of his childhood, he began to pray the first time since his mother had died. Tell me what to do, he whispered several times. After a couple of minutes, a sudden gust of wind came down off the hill behind him, and some of the bones still hanging in the trees began to knock together like wind chimes. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Lit to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who like the book better than the movie. This is episode five of our Netflix and Chill, uh, season six. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the devil all the time. Uh, We are recording this on Sunday morning, September 20th, right before the Chelsea plays Liverpool. So by the time this comes out, we'll all know uh, that Chelsea would have won a big match uh, at Anfield today. So uh, we just posted the episode on the social network, so check that out. I am with the gunslinging, uh, preacher pumping, and picture taken Eric. Say hello to the people, E. Hello, people. Well, it seems that uh, today you were you were fighting the devil all the time with your Chelsea jersey on. Not just today. Your Chelsea kit. It's every, a kit. It's every day. It's every day. But we're not really the devil. Liverpool's really the devil. They are the well. Man United is really the devils. That's true. They're the red devils. Yeah. So they're officially the devils, and they're bad. So they're one kind of devil. They're beaten. They're beaten. Uh, they're being beaten down this summer pretty good which i love yeah griffey's coming to say hello he's hanging up at the top mid mid step <laughs> mid stairs <laughs> that's the, what the jangling is in the background yeah so the novel is called the devil all the time it's written by donald ray pollock author of knock em stiff which is a, which is a set of short stories mm-hmm. uh, published in 2008 and the heavenly table which was published in 2016 this book, The Devil All the Time, was published in 2011 and has a Goodreads rating of 4.12 stars out of 5, which is pretty good. No comment there. Yeah. So the film, uh, which was directed by Antonio Campos, which he's also directed films called After School, Simon Killer, and Christine, uh, was written for the screen by Antonio Campo- Campos along with uh, Paulo, Cam- Paulo Campos, which I believe is his wife. Um, the film stars Tom Holland, Bill Skarsgård, Wiley Keough, Jason Clark, Sebastian Stan, Haley Bennett, Eliza Scanlon, Mia Wasikowska, and uh, I want to say Wazikowski for some reason. Um, Mike then, Wazowski. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Robert Pattinson. So pretty stellar cast for this film. And then it was released uh, September 15, 2020, last Wednesday, exclusively on Netflix. Has a Rotten Tomato score of 65% and a Metacritic score of 55 So pretty mediocre. Eric, please give us the recap. The recap. This is the story of Arvin Russell played by Tom Holland, and his dealings with crooked characters in rural southern Ohio and also West Virginia, um, and the collision of characters with devious intentions as they circle Arvin and his family, the Russells. Scary stuff. Yeah. Are you ready for a game? Let's do it. So last time we played Eight Truths, One Lie. Pretty tough. I lost. You lost. Yeah. This is Five Truths, One Lie, so you have a little better chance. The math check. The math checks out. Yeah. I still think you're going to lose, but... Okay. Well, we'll we'll see. 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 So, number one. Oh, first of all, do you know how to play? Yes. Okay. Uh, You will read six statements. One of them will be a lie, and five of them will be truths. Perfect. I just wanted to make sure. 
So, number one, Chris Evans personally recommended Sebastian Stan to replace him as Sheriff Lee Bodecker as Evans dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. Number two, Bill Skarsgård is Norwegian. Number three, there was no backup plan for voice narration when the director asked Donald Ray Pollock to lend his voice to narrate the film. Number four, this movie was shot on 35mm film. Uh, number five, Donald Ray Pollock worked as a laborer and a truck driver until the age of 50. Uh, and number six, the author was an op the author Donald Ray Pollock was an op-ed contributor to the New York Times for his election dispatches throughout the 2008 campaign. Eric, can you spot the lie? Wow, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here. A lot of Donald Ray Pollock stuff in. in He's got this. some good uh, little tidbits. Um, I don't. I know he is old, and I. I think he, like you mentioned, had only written three things. So I would believe that he hadn't had anything published until he was older. So I'm gonna mark the Pollock working as a laborer and truck driver as a true mm-hmm. until the age of fifty. We can come back to that. Okay. Um, was he an op-ed contributor to the New York Times? For his election dispatches? I have no idea. Ohio is a swing state. He's from Ohio. So, possibly. We'll say possibly. Okay. Um, when did that book come out? His first book? 2011. 2000... Or 2012. Oh, sorry. His first so, book, the Nocturne Sift came out in 2008. So, timing could make sense to promote a book mm-hmm. during the election season. Hey, oh, I live in Ohio. Interesting. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll mark that as... pieces I'll, together. I'll mark that as true. Um, Chris Evans personally recommend sebastian stan that's an interesting one they chris evans would be good in this in that role i think you think so um as captain america he is sort of america sheriff right that's so true yes he just didn't want to take the downgrade to be you know meet ohio sheriff or yeah. cold creeks or sheriff. corrupt sheriff yeah so that maybe that's true okay um the bill stars as norwegian i have no idea if that's literally just like a is it is it true is it not true where was he born? I don't know. You gotta guess to find out. And then, 35mm film. Dude, they had Netflix money, so maybe they did shoot it on film. So I'm gonna say Netflix money, so that, that must be true. I'm gonna say that... I'm between Bill Sarsgaard and Chris Evans. So I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that Bill Sarsgaard is not Norwegian. You are indeed correct. Oh. God damn it. What is Bill Sarsgaard? <laughs> He is Swedish. Mm. Yeah. So I thought that was really the only thing that I could really come up with. I was trying to find quotes, uh, him talking about his accent in the movie, which I know you're not a fan of. No. But I couldn't find anything. So I was like, let me just throw in this book. You pray here. (laughs) Pray, (laughs) God damn it. It's really, it's, I want to talk about it later, but it's, it's really, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, but good, good job. Yeah. So Chris Evans, he couldn't do it. So he recommended Sebastian Sam, which I actually didn't know, but he's in the Marvel movies. I guess he's, he is, um, one of the superheroes. Is he? Okay. Uh, he's, he's Captain America's friend. Oh, okay. He's the winter soldier. Also a real friend in real life. So apparently. that makes sense. You so. spend so much time filming those Avengers movies. I feel like you gotta be real friends. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so for the for the narration part, Donald Ray, or um, the author Antonio Campos had no backup plan. He's like, I, he has to narrate this for, for my film, and if he doesn't do it, then we're not going to do it. Basically, wow. Was Can you imagine opinion. if he just had said no, and then they, there wasn't a voiceover? It would have been it's such a great movie. What a what a what a disgrace! <laughs> and I thought it was interesting that they shot it on thirty five millimeter film, which is like unheard of nowadays. Yeah, more expensive, right? To mm-hmm. like. I think so, yeah. It takes longer to... Because you actually have to chop it up, right? Yeah. Cut, cut the cut the layers film. of film. And yeah. 
digitize it and stuff like that. Um, and then yeah, he's a he did do he wrote for the New York Times. So I didn't say which it didn't say which campaign he was following. Um, maybe it was Obama. Maybe it was um, who was his opponent? McCain. Um, yeah, McCain. So who knows? But yeah, anyways, some some tidbits for you. There you go. Donald Ray Pollock. Yeah. What a Donald Ray. An interesting life. Labor and yeah. a truck driver until fifty, and then. Then he became pretty successful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Eric, what did you think of the novel? I I actually really liked it. There was. It was more expansive than anything we've read so far this season. I think there were a ton of characters. Um, the world was really compelling. I thought it was like really well written, really like evocative and clear, and you were able to see. I guess it wasn't really in Knockamstiff. Like parts of it were in Knockamstiff, Mead, Ohio, um, Coal Creek, West Virginia. Like all those places to me were really well conceived and and like created. And I liked all the characters. I thought like each of them was really good at what they wanted, and their interconnectedness was really clever. I feel like I I keep like qualifying things. Everything was like really something. Mm-hmm. Um, Use your uh, words. Yeah, I just thought it was. I thought it was good. Yeah. I I really thought it was good. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, the book was really interesting. It, it was such a... Well, I think you had mentioned this, but I agree with you that it's nothing like I've ever read before. I've never read something this like violent. Um, and I've never really read a book about like the Midwest rural uh, locations, really, in my life. So this kind of like hit home because I like darker things. I like things that are kind of sinister. So this kind of hit home for me. So I really enjoyed the book as well. And I guess they categorize his writing as hillbilly gothic or southern ohio gothic which i thought was kind of interesting yeah i i wouldn't i feel like it's like southern noir yeah but it's not it's not even like noir might not even be the right word because there's no there is a detective like the sheriff mm-hmm. is sort of a detective but, but it's, it's not like a mystery yeah because we know what's happening i kind of agree with that i mean certainly so maybe goth maybe gothic is the right term. yeah i feel like when when you mention gothic it's more about like um, it's almost super more supernatural mm-hmm. um, like Frankenstein yeah but I think the it's, we'll get into this later but the prologue kind of fits in with that because they're sacrificing all these animals and stuff and that's it's really dark it's really dark yeah uh, like picture of all these strung up animals with their limbs hanging and stuff yeah anyways the bones um, that are chiming like wind chimes yeah the, he pinned the damn dog to the cross yeah the crucified the dog yeah that was tough Griffey, go back upstairs. Here, <laughs> don't listen to this. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was good. I yeah. thought it was good. I think it was one of the best things we've read so far this season. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then, um, so getting into the book um, and the adaptation, why would you, Eric, adapt the story? Is it worth adapting? I, I think the number one thing is just the. It's so cinematic. Like I had talked about, and you had talked about, just like how well visualized everything is and to me if you're adapting a book like let's start with the book that you can see because that's what a movie is right something that you can see so if you can already see it then you're like eight tenths of the way there Mm -hmm. so to me um the imagery from the novel is like a knockdown check mark i want to do this like we talked about like the prayer log that you were sort of talking about that is an image that i probably won't ever forget yeah like cross he you know erects in the middle of a forest and then hangs up all these dead yeah. animals um 
Carl, one of the characters in the book, takes all these pictures of quote unquote models. Like that's an image that really resonates. And then just the idea of like small paper mill towns or small rural areas. I think all that stuff is, is like ripe for putting on 35 millimeter film, you know? There you go. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, the imagery was, was certainly uh, stark um, and it was very cinematic. I mean, I remember reading just the prologue or one of the first very first few chapters and talking about Miller Jones because um, he's in the South Pacific fighting in World War Two, and they come across a fellow uh, American soldier who's crucified. Yeah. Um, and he's he was actually skinned, I believe, as well. And that was such a like a crazy image. Actually, when I was watching the movie, I was like, please don't show it. Please don't show it. Because the image in my mind was like, it was so bad. Um, and they showed it. They, they, they certainly show, they do show it. it. I, I will say the image in my mind was much worse than what they showed, but it wasn't great. No. Um, either way. But, yeah, so so some of the key ingredients I heard from you was the imagery, uh, the visual aspect, the cinematic aspect that they put into the book um, translates well to the screen, as well as the um, um, uh, the gothic nature to it, the, the sort of dark nature to it. Is there anything else that you think um, makes this book really adaptable. Yeah, well, I think it's it's like part of a line of like American literature or American pop culture that is in conversation with like the American mythos, especially post-World War II. Like this idea of the sons inheriting like the sins from their fathers, um, this idea of inherited trauma, you know, the Willard Russell, the initial main character of the book, comes back from World War II where he's seen some like horrifying things and he acts in a certain way when he gets home and his son Arvin like inherits that trauma. Right. So this like father son translation almost in a sense, I think is a very post world war two American thing. Mm -hmm. And this fits in with that line of, I think like writing, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to understand what the hell we're supposed to do with this generation of people who've come back so incredibly fucked up from all this stuff they've seen Mm -hmm. um then lastly like we talked about the characters and like there's a ton of characters and the web is really wide and it's really well connected and i think clever Mm -hmm. and so if you were writing a movie you can do worse than to find the book that has figured out like how 15 characters fit together like perfectly like clockwork yeah that's true it's a lot of characters for a movie yeah um it's i feel like it's hard to pull movies off with so many like interesting um characters and that's something that's probably not as easily translatable um into a film is there anything else um that you think is not easily translated um into an adaptation from this book you see how we we uh we ease into this because to me i mean there are so many characters and i try to write down all their names just to think through like all the various plots so, I mean, with a book, you can have a bunch of different A plots, let's call them, like main plots, because mm-hmm. you can spend however long with a character. Like, the book is the book. It takes you however long it takes to read. Mm-hmm. Movie is a little bit of a different medium, so there are conversations to be had. But in this book, there are A plots with Arvin, Carl and Sandy, the preacher Roy Lafferty and Theodore, the new preacher, um, and Arvin's dad, Willard. That's to say nothing of, like, five or six other characters, like the sheriff, um, Arvin's grandma, Arvin's uncle, the second preacher that comes into Coal Creek, mm-hmm. his daughter, and that preacher's wife. 
Like, all of those people are, like, very, very present in the book. Mm-hmm. In the movie adaptation, you can't have all those people. You just can't. Yeah. So, to me, we have to cut something. Like, we're not making The Godfather parts one through three here, right? right we're not right. making Once Upon a Time in America. It's not a four-hour movie. If we're having a tight 215, we got to figure out who are our main people. Yeah. And when I look at that, I think, like, what can we get rid of? And to me, the most obvious answer, and just to... I write these before I watch the movie, so okay. sometimes it's nice to be like reaffirmed when you see the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. But my note was that you cut or limit Roy and Theodore. Okay. Um, there is an interesting moment at the end of the book where, and no spoilers here, until we talk about the movie, mm-hmm. but there's a moment near the end of the book where it's very obvious where one main character is going to face off with another main character, mm-hmm. and it's like... It's very obvious, right? right? You probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and then, like, ten pages before that showdown happens, Roy has the exact same showdown. Right. It, like, preempts this big ending that he's going for. And yeah. it, like, totally pops the balloon of tension. Yeah. It's really strange. I don't mm-hmm. know if you agree with that. No, I totally agree with it. It was... I, I just... I, I don't know. I just... It seemed coincidental. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So it, I it's feel like, like it totally was. It's like, why why do this on purpose? Yeah. Like why have the same thing happen twice with two different characters? I don't know. Yeah. So I read that and I was like, this is a mistake. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the author obviously has a reason for doing it. Mm-hmm. But in my adaptation, that's that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Just because I was like, this is totally wrong. Right. This is the exact same scene that you're writing. To, like, we know you're writing towards that scene yeah. and you've just, you've cut you just yourself off. Yeah. At least give it more breathing room or something, right? If yeah. You're gonna, if you have to have it. Just have it happen later, or like have the the first one happen earlier. Yeah, which is sort of what the movie does. Mm-hmm. Um, but Roy is important because he gives us Lenora, who features heavily into the plot. So the question is like, can you have Lenora without having Roy? Maybe, maybe not. Um, so I think really sending Roy into the background is probably necessary. We don't need him. His purpose in the plot ultimately is to give us a daughter, mm-hmm. and. Yeah. We can have a daughter a bunch of different ways. Right. Well. So. <laughs> not too many different ways. <laughs> I guess there's really only you know, one way to have a, to have a daughter. But. Yeah. but you're right. He did serve his purpose in the beginning and kind of like. Well, the, it's funny. The movie kind of. It killed him like pretty quickly. Um, no, yeah. Oh, spoiler alert. Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah. But uh, he was he was taken out pretty quickly. Because um, we don't need him. His purpose is just to have a child. Yeah. And Although they were really interesting to read in the book, him and Theodore. They do have a good plot. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Um, there's weird like that. He is eating what um, spiders. Yeah. Like, he's a preacher who just dumps spiders on his head. And he's yeah. like, I can survive spider bites. So believe me, as I'm right. preaching the Lord to you. Until he got bit by a spider. Yeah. And then Theodore, his compatriot. Um, what does he do? His legs don't work because he's a he, guitar. Oh, he plays guitar and he sings. Well, in the movie they say he drank like antifreeze, but I don't remember that in the book. Yeah, it might be in there. It, it was maybe it was else. some sort of like God fearing attempt to like prove that he they're like one with the Lord or something yeah, that he can he can survive. Faith. Something like something, that. Something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he plays guitar uh, with Roy, who's a, who's a preacher. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, so he pours spiders on his head, uh, and one of the first scenes that we see him or introduced to him, uh, and then Helen is like taken by him, and then that's how they form a relationship, and then Lenora is born. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he doesn't really serve a purpose after that. But reading the, 
where they end up on in Florida. Um, after you know they, after he kills uh, Helen, he, they have to escape, right? So they go to Florida, and then he joins like a circus, basically. Yeah. And there's all these interesting characters that were introduced to in the book that were not introduced to uh, in the movie, which I thought um, certainly would have made for interesting visuals, but certainly would have added an element to the movie that's like this doesn't really serve the plot. So you just wanted to see pimples get popped. I wanted to see him eat them. Yeah. Are you a big like eater? Are you a big Doctor Pimple Popper on TLC viewer? Is that a show? That is a show. No, I I cannot watch other videos of people popping their sets. Okay. I can only pop my own, and that's it. I can't watch other people. Do I I second that. I think zit popping is. How is that a show? There's enough viewership for that. Dude, yeah. That's weird. Doctor Pimple Popper. Those people should be this fall on arrested. TLC. Yeah. To do it, number one, is terrible. And yeah. to film it in high definition, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Do you think the cameraman, like, do you think he signed up for this, like, all excited? Or do you think he's like, oh, damn, I'm just trying to get my paycheck and get out of here? I think the second. <laughs> I think the second one. Maybe they don't even have cameraman. They're just like, we're just going to put these in your office and <laughs> make sure you edit the shot. show your fucking self. Like, I'm not looking at this. Jesus Christ. Um, on that note, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back <laughs> for some jokes. Hey, it's Eric. If you're liking what you're hearing, do us a favor and leave us a review but only if it's five stars and definitely only if you mean it, okay? And don't comment unless you have something nice to say. My mom listens to these episodes. All right, back to the show. Now you remember what I told you. About them boys on the bus that gave you the black eye. That's what I meant. Just gotta pick the right time. Yes, sir. There's a lot of no good sons of bitches out there. One hundred? <laughs> yeah, at least that many. <laughs> How about I buy you and Caddy Bar, huh? We gotta get some sugar for Mama, too. Uh-huh. Arvin would often think back on this day as the best one he ever spent with his father. So what kind of candy bar are you going to get? Hmm? Um, a Charleston chip. Hey, it's Will. Thanks for listening, as always. If you have a few minutes, please subscribe to the show and leave us a review. If you like the show, share it with a friend. Just one. That's all we ask, and that's all you have to do. And now, back to the show. And we're back, people. Thanks for that little uh, word from our sponsor. So, we have some jokes. Eric, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm going to go first. Okay. Okay. What do you call the opinions that say Bill Skarsgård accent was amazing in this film? I don't know. Delusions. <laughs> Delusions. Delusions. <laughs> um, the great Robert Pattinson. Yeah. He's amazing. He's the best. His accent, Robert Pattinson's accent, I think was probably the best accent. Yeah. But it... It was okay. It's gotten the most heat online. People don't like it. Robert Pattinson's? Mm-hmm. Not Bill Sarsgaard's? Is no one care enough about Bill Sarsgaard, maybe? Is Correct. Because yeah. that accent is like an abomination. It's horrible. It's really, really Especially bad. Especially when he yells. It's really, really bad. Yeah. It's really bad. It's almost like they should have uh, they should have edited him out of the film. <laughs> they and then the director fucking... was like, fuck, we shot this on 35mm. I can't uh... just... <laughs> digitally do anything yeah they should have had a voiceover but they can't so this is what we figured out don't shoot your movies on 35 millimeter kids. Yeah. <laughs> all right my joke 
The Devil All the Time takes place in part in Knockamstiff, Ohio, which is ironic because after a couple of bourbons and listening to all these shitty accents, I was also Knockstiff. Oh, that's good. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> that's, that's probably way loud. That's pretty good. I like it. I think this is our best collection of jokes yeah. so far. We're getting better. Yeah. It's just practice. Um, were you actually pretty, pretty knock stiff? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was, uh, literally floored. Like I had to lay down. I was <laughs> just like, I, this is too much for me. You were texting me while, um, we were both watching it and you had a lot of typos. So I figured, oh yeah, he's definitely. Yeah. Definitely I had a couple of bourbons. Um, <laughs> It was the time, right? Everyone on screen was drinking whiskey, and I wanted to be drinking a whiskey. Yeah, so. yeah. It's funny how that like trigger happens. Like, oh, that looks so good. Whenever I see a glass of wine in a movie, like I was watching uh, a movie earlier this week, and I was like, oh, that looks really good. I should get a glass of wine. Bought a bottle of wine the next day. It wasn't good, was it? It was not good. It was like a $10 Trader Joe's. If you're going to Trader Joe's, you should probably spend at least like maybe $12, $13 to get like a decent. Our friend Alex says you got to spend 15 yeah, but he's like an, an elitist. He's <laughs> like true. a he's yeah. a wine snob. Buying fifteen dollar <laughs> bottles of wine from Trader Joe's. That's snob behavior. It is. That's snob behavior. They have wine bottles for like three or four dollars. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It used to be like the two buck chuck. Yeah. But I guess, you know, inflation. Time value money. Awful. It's a anyways. Good jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting we're gonna get into the movie discussion here. So Eric, was the adaptation successful in your opinion? I think it was pretty hit or miss for me. Um, moments I really liked, moments that I did not like. Entire actors that I wish were not on the screen. Bill Sarsgaard. Um, and in some moments, like Tom Holland. I was kind of iffy on Tom Holland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was definitely out on Tom Holland's hat. I, this is a thing Why? I texted you too. Yeah. I didn't... I, ha- I don't know. I think I don't like hats that don't have branding on them yeah like it's how just did, like where do you find this blue hat frayed hat yeah like you got it from chris evans and he found it probably marvel movies he probably found it in a uh, field somewhere because he's lives in the middle of nowhere they didn't have brands back then did they yeah they did but oh maybe they what would be like a brand back then they didn't really start branding hats maybe not clothing. maybe we need to do a, a deep dive into yeah. when branding became a thing i bet you like his his grandmother made it or something like, it's probably, like, hand-stitched. Maybe. Mm. So, okay. that, that's how I felt broadly. Um, what did you think? Um, I did not like it. Um, I thought it was disjointed. I thought it was all over the place. They threw things in in different places that I didn't enjoy. Um, I disagree. I kind of like Tom, Tom Holland in this. Um, and you like the hat, just so you're on the record. Yeah. Right. I like the hat because you don't like the hat, though. I didn't have an opinion on the hat until you said that, so now I'm... Of the opinion that I love it. Just so that we're clear. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I didn't really like it. Um, I thought it was, it's a big missed opportunity, like you said. Like, this would have been, could have been such a great film. Um, I actually believe that it would have been much better served as a TV series, like a mini series or something like that, because there's just so many characters that you can explore um, and so much, so many interesting angles you can take that um, it just would have been better served as if you had more time to let, let it breathe a little bit more. Yeah, it's true. Some of the some of those characters went by pretty quickly, and some yeah. were like there was too much of that character. But mm-hmm. like the Carl and Sandy stuff, I thought probably could have been a whole lot bigger. Yeah, oh for sure. I actually really liked Theodore. I just really enjoyed reading his like 
you know, like his ridiculous views on, on different things. It yeah. was just kind of interesting and fun. He was a good um, character. And yeah. he was like, he had no, had basically no role in the film at all. Um, but did you think this was like a straightforward, um, adaptation, loose reimagined? I think this was pretty straightforward. Um, I think you probably agree with that. Like a lot mm-hmm. of the plot is there. There are some changes and we can get into them, but, um, overall, like, I think he, the director slash writer really just took the novel and like pasted it yeah. onto the screen. Yeah. I mean, there was no real reimagination except for like putting certain things at different places, like you said, but yeah, I think it was pretty straightforward. You know, what's interesting. Um, I, the website, the ringer wrote a oral history of the movie, the town, um, oh. it's Ben Affleck and he was interviewed and he was basically just like, when I look to adapt something, cause Ben Affleck does a lot of adaptations. That's true. He does. Like Gone Baby Gone, The Town, mm-hmm. that other one that was almost the lit to lens and the movie ended up being really Oh, bad. Live by Night. Yeah. Was that Dennis Lehane book? It was. Um, yeah, or it is. He was basically like, what I want to do from a like directing, writing perspective when I pick up a book is to ask myself, like, can I add anything to this story? Interesting. I thought that was a, kind of an interesting way to look at it because this, like, what did the director writer add to this story? Nothing, Nothing right? So yeah. you're, you're literally just like taking this and putting it on the screen and copy paste. Yeah. I don't think that's always a good way to approach it. Yeah, I mean, it's totally two totally different mediums. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's a, I think what um, you said about Ben Affleck. That's like the correct way to look at adaptations. Um, but yeah, this this one certainly didn't bring anything extra what it did bring was donald ray pollock voiceover i guess so technically it did <laughs> um but let, so let's talk about this because this is one of the one of the major I, I i guess it's a change more or less like i mean a voiceover is sort of a kissing cousin to writing a novel in yeah. general like you can get sort of behind the character mm-hmm. um but, but it's in not a, typical it's not typical usually i mean as, as much as like script teaching is a thing um, they tell you not to do voiceover. Yeah. Unless, like Ben Affleck says, it adds something, right? Right. And we've, I think, talked about this enough in various episodes, but, like, the voiceover work here was uh, not good. Yeah. At, at a certain point, I just tuned it out. Like, I didn't listen to it. Because, well, maybe that was because I'd read the books, so I knew what was happening anyways, and I knew what the characters were feeling and going through. But I just, like, I don't know. I just tune those things out. I just don't really enjoy them. It was, to me, like... Have you seen Arrested Development or uh, pick, a sitcom? Yeah. It's, it's, it, was, it was like sitcom narration. Yeah. It was yeah, like um, Patton Oswalt over the Goldbergs or Ron Howard over Arrested Development. Like these guys are just reading into the episode like, oh, today was my birthday right. and uh, I woke up and wanted to do this. Right. It was literally just like vocalizing internal motivations or internal thoughts of characters. Yeah. And those thoughts could have been acted out, right? So the problem with the voiceover is that it's just like taking away from something that could have been there. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like a subtraction, right? Yeah. Or so, a distraction. Yeah, true. But so, so why do you think he chose to do this? The director? I have no idea. I have no idea. Because it, it like totally cuts the story off at the knees. I, in my mind, when I'm thinking of, like, what's an example of the bad version of this, I think about the scene where Lenora, spoiler alert, uh, commits suicide, right? Yeah, right. So she's pregnant by the preacher, what's his name? Tea Garden. Tea Garden. Tea Garden's baby. And 
he, she goes to him and he's like, no, I'm not taking care of this kid. Yeah. And she goes to kill herself right. um, by like hanging herself, right? right? In the book, you can sort of get this like narration, or not narration, her internal thoughts mm-hmm. where she's like going to hang herself and then she sort of realizes this, that's not what she wants. But before she can do anything, she trips on you know, the box under her feet and hangs. Accidentally kills herself. Right? In the movie version of that, like we sort of know that's coming. I, th- I thought I like assumed that was coming. Right. But it's Donald Ray Pollock like jumps in at the last second. Is like, oh, and she was up there and she decided she didn't want to do it, and then she yeah. slipped. And it was just like so wasted. It is. It's distracting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like if your if your focus is on the character on screen and how, you know you're trying to empathize with her how she's feeling. You have this voice coming out of nowhere that's like pulling you in a different direction, so you're not focusing on how she's acting. Yeah. So it's completely distracting. Yeah. I actually forgot about that. I think I tuned it out at that point, and I wasn't even listening to it. Um, but I do remember that. Yeah. It limits the need for acting. Like you don't need her to act that scene because the narrator is telling you what she's feeling. Why don't you just have a movie that's a hundred percent narration and then actors just doing things? Like they're not, you don't no, hear them. No, they're just words. acting like physically. It's just like two people in a room, just looking at each other, just thinking about. Worst idea, twenty twenty. Yeah. Somebody make that. So the thing about movies, will is that they are have talking in them. You're lying. No, the early ones didn't. Well, they were talking, and they would just put like cards in front. There you go. You could just have a narration voice over top of it instead of cards. I'm out on this idea. <laughs> so. That's all I want to say about that. Do you have yeah. anything left on the voiceover besides just that it was garbage and terrible? So the only the, what I read online was the only reason that um, Antonio Campos like decided to do this um, was because of Donald Ray Pollock's voice. He loved his voice. It's a good it, voice. Yeah, it's a good voice, and it fits uh, the theme um, and the feel of the movie, which is like that's cool and everything. But like, yeah, that, I think I think that was the only reason he decided. We have to have his voice in because he's got like the great southern like or midwestern voice excuse me i think probably southern ohio you could call that southern yeah it's just it all sounds southern to me so yeah i'm I mean, sure there are different like like cincinnati is below west virginia i mean it's like next to west virginia but it, yeah west virginia goes like, higher yeah or more north yeah i just i just think it's a sort of a cheap way to shoehorn in information yeah and with the volume of it it was just like, it. That's know, a lot. It was too much. Yeah. Would you say it's lazy? Would you go as far as to say that? I think it's it like, is lazy. I think it's probably one of the the tricks that some writers use to do something hard easily. Mm-hmm. And to cram maybe, if yeah. you have too much info, or too much story. You're like, let me just like do this ten second narration clip. And maybe that's a that's cover a, this like scene here. That's, so that's interesting that you say that, because that might be one of the hard things with adaptations in general. Is like, if you really dig a book, you want to get a mm-hmm. bunch of the book in, and there's probably a lot of good lines that yeah. don't have a home, that you just throw them in the voiceover. Yeah. And so now you're, like, playing with two masters, right? There's the film, and there's the book text, and you want them both to live happily together, mm-hmm. and they probably shouldn't. Yeah. They have to be different. Yeah. That's probably where a good editor comes in. Excuse me. Just at the table. But, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on from the voiceover and let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Our favorite topic. 
Talked about it last episode. Talking about it again this episode. So, what's your beef? I got a lot of beefs, Will. Um, so, I want to talk about Arvin and Lenora. Mm-hmm. So, Arvin, I think is probably the main character in the book and the movie. Right? Yes. This yeah. is Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. He has a complicated family life. He's living with his grandmother and his great uncle, or maybe just uncle. No, I think it's just his uncle. Like, they call him Uncle Erskull, but I think maybe he's older. I think he's his father's brother. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So he's living with them, and then Teagarden has a daughter, Lenora, who he... Roy, you mean? Roy has a daughter, Lenora. Sorry. I get my preachers confused. (laughs) Um, And he, like, leaves her with Uh, her... Emma. 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 Yeah. The the grandmother. Um, And so Arvin and Lenora sort of grow up together, more or less. They're very similar in age. They're basically, like, brother-sister. Yeah. Um, But they're not... Right. In the book, Lenora takes a bit of a fancy to Arvin that is not, he doesn't show to her. Yeah, she's a bit suggestive. Yeah. And so when I read that, to me, it was like, oh, okay, Lenora, whose character is ostensibly, like, bookish and religious and, like, very focused on the church mm-hmm. and, like, asexual, is actually sort of sexual. And that helps you understand why she might have an affair with the new preacher. I want to call him Tea Garden. Rory. No, no, no. The second oh, preacher. Sorry. Yeah, Tea Garden. Tea That's Garden. Okay, yeah, yeah. So her, like, advances on. Um, they're not really advances. But her, like, sexual feelings towards Arvin made mm-hmm. me think, like, okay, well, she could have an affair with Tea Garden. Yeah, right, right, right. That doesn't exist in the movie. So her. To me, her affair. It's sort of like out of nowhere. He just yeah. she just like sits in a car with him and he's like, Why don't you show the Lord like all that you were hiding under those yeah. under them clothes? Oh my god, that was ridiculous. Yeah, so it's funny, they actually have so the scene in the book where she kind of suggests um to Arvin that she's like interested in possibly like exploring a sexual relationship with him. That same scene is in the movie, but they leave out that line that's the suggestive line. And that was like I mean that changed the entire um complexity of the scene. Yeah. But, yeah, so I get what you're saying, that it makes it more of a reach um, that she would have this, like, sexual relationship with this preacher um, without the Arvin uh, flirtation, I guess you could say. Yeah. It seems more out of character, but then I guess it also reflects on Teagarden as a, like, shittier human, Mm -hmm. right? Where he's, like, literally taking advantage of... She was, like, 16, Teenagers. Yeah, I think she was 16 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's a, that's a big, like, so why do you think he threw that in? Like, is it was it just to sort of have the reader believe that she would have a sexual relationship with the preacher, or was it something else? I think it probably makes it more equitable. Like, she's trying to explore what sex is like, and that maybe is an overreach of a read in on it but she is at least like sexual in a certain way the preacher is taking advantage of these girls who are like not knowing any better but are right. are like interested in knowing about it right. sort of thing where yeah. he's like oh you want to learn about sex i can teach you right 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 sort of thing yeah because this he's not she's not the only 16 year old that tea garden has sex with he's in the a bad book. man yeah that's like the only people that he has sex with are sixteen year olds. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they ha- he has a wife, but they, 
She's also young yeah. in the book. Yeah, yeah. She's much older in the movie. In the, movie. But in they, the book. She doesn't even have a line, I don't think, in the movie. Well, lines are expensive, you know. That's true. <laughs> Gotta save that money for uh, Tom Holland's quote. Oh, yeah, you're fair. That's fair. Um, so that was the first sex that I want to talk about. Second sex I want to talk about is Carl and Sandy. Um, so these these characters are more or less limited in the film from how they are in the mm-hmm. book. Like, oh, yeah. There's a lot more in the book. Oh, yeah. Their essential plot point is they go around murdering people, but only after... So they, p- they pick up hitchhikers. Carl convinces the hitchhiker to have sex with Sandy. Once they are done having sex, Carl murders that person and then takes like nasty-looking photos of like dead bodies yeah. with his naked wife. Yeah, it's right? really weird. It's really weird. It's really gross. All those photos are really incriminating yes what i need to do is stop saying really i need to start like digging myself (laughs) um those photos are incriminating in the movie those photos are not violent they're the photos they take are pornographic Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but you wouldn't look at them and think that there's a crime going on you just look at them and think like okay she is selling herself to men yeah yeah initially i I do think they it was kind of confusing because you're definitely right they did have those photos i think they did throw a few in where they were they looked like they could have been dead like their heads were rolled to one side and stuff so it's kind of a weird mix but in the book it's it's solely just like the one guy was like crammed into a refrigerator in the middle of the woods or something and yeah and she's like smiling and as they take the photo um but yeah that was a really weird and they call them they call these hitchhikers models or that's what Carl calls him, because he thinks of this as, like, an art. He thinks of it as, like, a, a photo shoot. It's going to hang in MoMA. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, and this was, like, this was probably my favorite... Um, uh, like, plot? Plot, yeah, subplot or whatever. Uh, just because it was... I've never read anything like this before. This was, like, so creepy and weird um, and just, like, violently visual that I was just, like, intrigued by it. Um, and there's a whole lot more in the book about it. Like yeah. there are whole passages with different characters they pick up and like all of them are somewhat different. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's definitely yeah. interesting. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, the, I, I understand. It's funny when I was reading it, I was like, is this going to be like NC-17? Like I didn't, I didn't know what the rating of the film was. Cause like a lot of this stuff is like pretty gross. I mean, and yeah. If they, had, if they had like filmed a lot of this stuff, it probably would have been NC-17 or more, I don't know if there's like a worse rating. Maybe so. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like a, a play. I don't know how Netflix works. Like, is there? They must have. Can Netflix put on whatever it wants to put on? And yeah. You just like. I mean, they just have to rate it, right? Yeah, but like, are they limited? Could they put like a rated X movie on Netflix as long as it's not like a in the kids section like a, or whatever? Probably. Yeah, you just put in movies and maybe have like a disclaimer when you like click it like are you 17 or whatever because i know there's rules against those movies being in theaters right yeah you have to be with a, a, an, like adult. an adult i don't know about i think etsy 17 you have to be 17 but rated r you have to be with an adult or somebody who's 17 or over but like i don't know about x is that like another is that the next rating I, that's what i thought i don't yeah. i don't know Could um, be. you know but like how are you about... how are you gonna discover that when you're in your house you know yeah like I can't, they know what I'm watching on Netflix, right? But it's not like they can stop me from watching whatever I want to watch. Yeah. And I think if you, if you brand a movie or if, if a movie is rated as NC-17, 
it's a certainly a lot harder to market. And I feel like it's almost probably not marketed because you don't want everybody seeing it, right? Well, at least like I'm sure the filmmakers probably want a lot of people to see it or the finance or financial people, but like the marketing people behind it and the ethics people who run like these rating systems are like, you cannot market this film if it's NC-17 because then you know like people younger will probably have a better chance of seeing it. Yeah. So and maybe, Netflix is probably way easier to get by that. So. Yeah. But I guess if you've got Tom Holland, you probably want a certain demographic of people to watch your movie. Yeah, that's true. So maybe maybe you're right. It's just a play that's like, we want our movie to be seen by a broader yeah. swath of people. And if that means we get rid of some of the, like, the dead people in our photos, yeah. then that's fine. And a lot of the photos were negatives. They were just... Um, yeah, true. Like the white, black and white kind of like... So they weren't... Re- uh, they were photos, but they didn't have the color. Yeah. So they were less striking i guess i don't know yeah so my initial reaction to this was just that in the, the in the plot like the sheriff lee mm-hmm. bodecker yeah is brothers to sandy yep. right and he finds all these photos at some point and he destroys them to like save her reputation or not incriminate sort of her his in a, reputation and his reputation and yeah. not incriminate her in a crime and he does that in the movie too but like they're just like naked shots so yeah. to me that like took some of the teeth out of it a little mm-hmm. bit, but I, you're right. Like, they do show some of the nastier photos, and yeah. you certainly know what they've been doing. So it's not like yeah, you're unaware. You the audience is unaware that what he's what he's blocking. Yeah, there was the one scene where they they showed. I think they they cut the I forgot the guy's name. Uh, Pri- Private first class. Oh, like, Gary Matthew. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, they they showed his like yeah. blood the blood on his uh, genital area. Uh, which I can only imagine what happened there, but um, that was like the one scene that was like, oh shit, this is pretty graphic. Um, and the scene, it's t- talking about graphic scenes mm-hmm. when uh, T Garden kills his wife. Or no, Roy. When Roy kills his wife. Oh yeah. When yeah, he yeah. stabs her with the screwdriver. That was, I was just like, what the? That was, so you mentioned earlier about this reveal thing in the movie where in the, in the book you're reading it, you know what's coming. But in the movie, they don't tell you it's a reveal. So this was another another instance of that where it's Theodore's idea to kill uh, Roy's wife Helen because Theodore is like jealous. He has hom- he has uh, homosexual feelings towards Roy, and they're not they're not uh, preaching as much as they did before he met Helen because um, now they have this child Lenora. So he comes up with this plot to uh, convince um, convince Roy that you have to kill. Uh, your wife and bring her back from the dead to prove that you're like a man of God yeah. or whatever, or that you have the faith in you. And so he, Roy being as crazy as he is, he agrees to it. Kill, he stabs her with a screwdriver, I think. Um, and then obviously he fails to bring her back. Um, but in the, in the movie, like in the, when you're reading that, it's all like laid out, you know, what's about to happen. Um, Cause it was explained earlier, but in the movie it just happens. Yeah. So it's like, it's a shock, but it's like, there's no context like he just does this out of nowhere and then i guess after when she's dead he's like bring her back bring her back but it's like if i was watching that without the context i feel like i would just be more confused it's like why would you be yelling bring her back if you just killed her i don't know i don't know this is my this is why i want to get rid of roy kill roy i mean he does get killed by sandy and carl but um you didn't need them yeah unless you're unless you're making a miniseries I think he's yeah. probably unnecessary. Yeah. You could have just had him go to Florida and then you never hear about him again. Yeah. Or why couldn't 
Lenora just have been an orphan or something, you know? Yeah, that's true. And there is rumors that her dad did something to his mm-hmm. mom, and that's why she's here, but... That could work, too. We don't see them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So now you're just, like, creating more scenes that are confusing and have no purpose. Yeah, that's true. I cut those, Well, I cut those things Yeah, thank you. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you about... So we talked about Roy being a lesser character. Mm-hmm. There is a character who gets pumped up, yes. and that's... Sheriff Lee Bodecker. Lee Bodecker. Played by Sebastian Sand. Yep. Um, in the book, he is sort of a B character, right? Like, he sniffs around Sandy and what she's doing, and he goes to the bars that Carl goes to and just talks to the waitress that Carl's hitting on and, mm-hmm. and all that, and, like, is trying to figure out what she's got going on, mm-hmm. but it is, and is ultimately protective. Um, in the movie, he gets a lot more to do. He's a dirty sheriff in both the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but here he is like actively rebelling against the people that are controlling him. Yeah, so he's a much, a much more tertiary character, uh, if that's the correct English in the book. Um, but yeah, the movie is much more prominent. He, um, he has this uh, like corrupt business uh, dealings with this like gangster guy, I guess, who basically uh, pumps drugs into the communities, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so he's basically paid off by that guy for whatever to look the other way and stuff. Um, and that isn't really explained that well in the movie. It's just like a short, quick scene at a diner and then a quick, short scene at the end where he kills both of them. Um, yeah, the, the mob, not mobster, the gangster and his like... His like henchman or whatever. Henchman, yeah. um, and I was watching, I was just like, there just needs to be more of just scenes of them or like their interaction so you get a better understanding of like what's really happening. You can't just have like two quick scenes or one quick scene of them talking, realizing, okay, there's some shady business going on. And then the next scene later on in the movie, when you forgot about those guys, it's like, oh, he's killing them. Yeah. There just needs to be more. Or there needs to be less. Or just cut him out. I do think that Lee is kind of a, an interesting character in that he is so tight with Sandy. That relationship is so important to the end of the movie mm-hmm. that it makes sense to give him stuff to do so that he can be present in the plot. And it doesn't, it's not like totally out of left field that he would be hunting Arvin in the woods yeah. at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, I just, I just didn't buy it. Like but the, if, if you take that stuff away from him, doesn't he become like a good character? Cause that's really his only fault, right? Is like having this like shady business. He's a dirty cop. He's a dirty cop. But that's like his only like negative, uh, aspect about him. Right. So if you take that away from him and then you have later in the movie, Arvin killing him doesn't that make Arvin a much worse character? Like if if Arvin Arvin's if kind he just of, kills a sheriff, yeah, because Arvin's kind of the protagonist. He does like some bad things, like he kills a preacher and stuff, like, but he does it for a good reason. Um, so if he kills the sheriff at the end, but the sheriff isn't like corrupt, doesn't that make Arvin's character less? Yeah, less sympathetic. Yeah, probably, and I, I, we do know that. Bo Decker is covering up, trying to cover up his sister's wrongdoings. Yeah. So, so you can get reelected. Yeah. So that's fair. I think it, you're right. It is important to keep him just as like a shitty mm-hmm. man of the law. Um, but you could, you're right. It was confusing that he just like was like, oh, hey, gangsters. I'm just going to kill you all. And I'm, now you're dead. It's funny. Yeah. He's like, he even, he's like, oh, there's, there's a gun on the table. And he's like, oh, yeah, check it out. <laughs> Yeah. So he grabs it and shoots him. It's like, yeah. It's just kind of stupid and silly. Yeah. 
Um, but you could certainly, I feel like, I think you're right. Like you need to remove those people, but have him have like a different vice or like a different bad part of his character. Yeah. One of the things I did like about him in the book and less so in the movie, but it's there is that he used to be an alcoholic or like he had trouble with alcohol. And then now to get his mind off of it, all he eats is candy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of a cool character yeah. trait. Yeah. And then he did pop candy in his mouth once. He did. If you noticed. Yeah. Um, but yet they didn't, there was no context. Again, it's just like, God damn it. Yeah. Give me more context. Really, we like this. We're going to put it in the book. But what about, um, you know, the, the section with Willer, do you think that was um, maybe overdone a bit? Underdone? Yeah. So this is something you brought up. Just like the Willard section is really long in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it might be too long. Yeah. I think it was like 30 or 40 minutes in. But I was like, this guy's still in this? <laughs> yeah. Because he was only the first few chapters of the book, I believe. Maybe the first five or six. Yeah. But I just, I thought it was too much. And I, ultimately the problem is that he was so bad at yeah, speaking yeah. <laughs> and it just was so distracting. And I was just like, why are we still doing this? Yeah. It didn't help that he was, didn't had a bad accent and was not, um, didn't do great in the role. Yeah. I feel like if it, if the actor had done better, it probably would have been less, um, uh, headbanging. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all right, let's move on kind of thing. Cause it, he is important. There's no doubting that. Like, if we're talking about the themes of the movie being inherited trauma and inherited sin, mm-hmm. then his sin, his trauma is important to show or bring up or um, whatever. And obviously the, the scene when they're at the prayer log screaming <laughs> to God to have them have God save their mother who's yeah. dying of cancer. I'm sure that's a tough scene to pull off as an actor, especially with a kid. Yeah. But you like, really need the right kid. Yeah. And that's, I feel like you just, you figure that out some other way. You know, you don't need to have him yell I think awkwardly. You just, I think you just don't have the kid talk. Yeah. You just have him, like, praying there all night or something. Or, like, in, in, in the rain. Or, like, something dramatic. As as opposed to, like, him just yelling. Which is... It was just, like, awkward. Because he was yelling. The kid was yelling. But it wasn't, like, a plea. You know? It was, like, a scream. Yeah. But it was not even a scream. It was, like, a yell. I, I don't yeah. know if there's a better way to describe it. Yeah. There was no emotion behind it other than, like... Ah, yeah, yeah. Delusions, delusions. Um, and then about, I, what else though? I want to talk about the blanks at the end. Yeah, with uh, um, I want to say Sandy. Yeah, Sandy. Sorry. So there, the as it is like in the movie, there's a big. Is it a twist? It's a certainly a reveal. It's it's a reveal. Once yeah. So we'll get into the big main spoilers for the ending, mm-hmm. which is that at some point Carl and Sandy pick up Arvin who's hitchhiking, right? This scene is, we know it's coming in the book, like, you know, 50 pages beforehand because mm-hmm. Arvin's car breaks down. And he's like, I guess I'll just hitchhike my way to Ohio. And you're like, oh, you know what? These people are driving to Ohio. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen. Looking for models. Um, they pick him up. He sort of figures out that they are creeping on him and might try to kill him. Mm-hmm. So he shoots Carl and then Sandy has a jump on him and fires her gun at him but carl has filled her gun with blanks like pages and pages and pages and pages before yeah carl gives her a gun is like hey you should have a gun for protection and he's like actually you probably don't need to have a gun secretly changes out the bullets for blanks so it's sort of like Chekhov's blank filled gun okay Mm -hmm. and then we know when it's one-on-one with arvin and sandy 
he's going to be fine. Sandy's got no chance, yeah. Yeah. In the movie, we don't know that. Right. Unless you've read the book beforehand, preparing for a podcast. Um, like we did. Yeah. So she shoots him, and then it cuts back to Carl being like, oh, the bitch doesn't need bullets in the gun. Yeah, I'm going to fill like... him with blanks. Ha, 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 ha. And then it's like, oh, this is stupid. Yeah. But like you were saying off mic, do you think we just knew too much? Having read the book first? I think so. Like, I think that's what the director or whoever the editor like was going for. They wanted to be like, oh, she had blanks. But like, I don't know. I, I feel like it's such a small thing. Like, you should just give context before. That way you know the tragedy is coming regardless. And it's almost like you're prepared for it. It's just as, maybe it's not as shocking. Um, like, oh my God. She didn't know she had blanks, but it's just—it just feels like a cop-out way to describe the situation. Like, you have the—you have the situation happen, and then you're like, "Oh, let me flash back to this like thing," immediately where, that explains why this thing happened. It's like, or you could just give it its time beforehand. I don't know. It just seemed like, nah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just didn't like it. Yeah. It. Yeah, you're right. By flashing back, you're sort of like bumping its importance up yeah whereas if you just had it organically earlier in the movie you might have forgotten about it entirely you're like you're over explaining it yeah you know what i mean it's like let it it's doing you're doing too much yeah exactly like do less yeah that's that's how i felt about that but it's the same thing with the um rory killing helen it's like yeah you're doing too much dog like just let it let it be let it breathe yeah let it breathe so well those are the big things i wanted to talk about yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's, I agree with, like, everything you said there. It, it, it's a, there's a lot to unpack with this, especially the book. Like, it's, yeah. it's, I feel like it's hard to get all this stuff in the book onto the screen. Because there's so much. But, they tried. I was sad to have less Sandy and Carl. I could have used more Sandy and Carl and yeah. less Willard, I think. Mm-hmm. But, that's just me. I'm just a man. Screaming that's at true. the top of his lungs in front of a prayer lock. <laughs> Pray! Asking God to. Pray! Yeah, they should, if they could have had more Robert Pattinson, I would have been cool with that. More Tom Holland. No, I mean, Tom Holland probably had his day. Like, he had enough time. Haley Bennett was hardly there at all. She died pretty oh, quick. Oh, yeah. Um, she was the mother of uh, Arvin, the wife of... Willard. Willard, yeah. Yeah. But... It's weird that there are so many famous people in this movie that had very little time. Like, yeah. Haley Bennett had no time. Yep. Mila, Mia... Wazikowska. Wazikowska. Ka. Ka had like no time yeah fucking dudley dursley was in this movie he had more time than what? some of those people was he roy the the first preacher that's him that's dudley dursley holy shit are you serious yeah <laughs> he looks so different but i can see it i mean he was like he was like a chubby kid in the movie in the harry potter movies but he's like a thin yeah adult <laughs> yeah he's got like elvis hair yeah weird yeah that's okay I'm glad we did this podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into hot takes. Do you have do you have one t- hot take or two hot takes? I just have one hot take. So this is going to be a new section we're doing here on the podcast. Um, yeah. And I, t- I texted this to you last night. And my hot take is that Tom Holland is this generation's Michael J. Fox. Please explain. So I, I don't necessarily think of this as a compliment i like michael j fox i like back to the future a lot back to the future one is one of my favorite movies um 
there is a like goodness with Michael J. Fox that can't be bridged no matter what he does. Mm -hmm. So we were talking off mic again. I watched this movie this week called big bright lights, big city Mm -hmm. based on a book, um, came out in the eighties and Michael J. Fox plays this like Coke fiend, alcoholic, just mess of a dude. And it just so badly doesn't work Mm -hmm. because Michael J. Fox is just not that guy. Yeah. And you can't see him literally any other way. Yeah. Um, and I think Tom Holland has that same, I don't know if it's a problem, but he has that same like aura about him where you just like don't believe that he's a piece of shit. I'm just like, sorry, you're not a piece of shit. <laughs> you I, I just don't, I don't buy it. I, I kind of agree with you. I, I do think he, he certainly has that aura about him that he's like too good at being nice. And I'm sure that's what got him the Spider-Man uh, franchise. But, and he does have a very like young looking, nice looking face. I do think he did well in this movie. I did think that he like, pulled it off as best as he could kind of this like um i don't want to say i guess he was like a good character um but like kind of like a how would you even describe arvin like i don't want to say i was it was gonna say like badass guy but he's like certainly got a rough really rough edge to him yeah um someone that's just trying his best yeah i suppose but he still kills like three people yeah kills three people he's like fighting all these other people um, he hits that one kid with a hammer. Goddamn, that was crazy. Yeah. Um, and he beats up like four kids. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I do think he did his best to like overcome that. And I think he did a pretty good job of it. But you're right. There is something about um, Tom Holland that's like maybe he's just too good for like great roles. Yeah. I, so I don't know. The, my jury's still out. We're still deliberating on our, the future of Tom Holland. Fair enough. But that's my hot take. Okay. Um, so I have... I have two here, and they're they're mild, but but they're mild spicy. So I do think Sebastian Stan had the best acting performance in the film. I loved him as Lee Bo Decker. Um, I thought he was just like standout. I thought he was a great like corrupt kind of like sheriff who just had no control over anything anymore and was just like basically breaking down. You'd like him over our Pat. I do like Arpad a lot, but yeah. I don't know. I was just more impressed with... Because I, I know what Pattinson can do. I didn't know what Sebastian Sanders Oh, okay. So you is. just weren't... Like, you you would, you would still think Arpad is better, but in terms of, like, now you believe that Sebastian Stan's ceiling is a little bit higher. Yeah, maybe like, oh, that's Oh, okay, what... Sebastian Stan. Yeah. You're, you're more talented than I realized. He was, the mo- he was, like, the most surprising of the bunch. He's like, oh, shit, this guy's, like, a really good actor. I think I've seen him in something else, but it wasn't the Marvel movies. He's in I, Tonya. You've seen I, Tonya? That's what it was. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So he was good in that, too. Yeah. He he, he is good. I, he can go... I feel like he has a lot of range. Like, yeah. he, he can be funny. He can be serious. Yeah. He can, like, play bad. Mm-hmm. Play guy with a gun. That's yeah. important. Yeah. So, maybe one to look out for. Yeah. Never know. All right. And then... I think this will be the peak of Antonio Campos' film career. I think he had his other films that were received well. But I think if you have, I don't know, maybe it was just like the, the project because there were so many big names attached to it that maybe the pressure was really high. Um, but this just was like kind of a dud. I mean, I, I don't think you get too many like second chances, at least big ones, uh, especially in Hollywood. Um, I think he kind of, I don't want to say he shit the bed, but like he certainly 
he certainly missed an opportunity with this one. This was one where if you hit this movie, you're like getting calls from, from every studio, right? You're like, this guy's like the real deal. But he, I don't know, it was lackluster. So I think he, this is probably like his shot that he, to make the NBA and he, he's in the D League. What's crazy is that as a director, probably you're waiting your whole career to assemble like a cast like this. And they're all like young, except, I mean, there's a couple of people that are maybe a little bit older, like Jason Clark. But yeah. a, a lot of the actors here are young, new-ish, and like have really good things ahead of them. Yeah. And it's like playing with like a full toy chest. Yeah. And I don't know, just the, the movie was just meh. Yeah. And so that's, I don't know, that's tough. Right? It's tough. To, yeah. to assemble like this cast and thinking like, man, this should be a fucking classic movie yeah it should have been it's tough i'm sure he was put in a like a tough position with like all this stuff to do it's like wow this is like there's too much talent too much talent too much story it's like tom brady on the bucks too he's much like, narration yeah a lot of mouths to feed oh man are you already out on tom brady on the bucks yeah he's 43 <laughs> are you kidding me <laughs> you know how many you know how many career games have been started by a quarterback that's 43 and we'll get back to talking about movies. probably just the one no eight. Oh really yeah no, that's actually more than i thought i guess right so <laughs> The clock is ticking on Tom Brady. Is my point. It's week one, baby. Just let it let it breathe. Um, okay, so we're gonna get into final thoughts. Oh, so I would just say that is that was the hot take segment uh, sponsored by Wendy's six piece spicy chicken nuggets. Thank you, thank you, Wendy's for that. And then, um, so in our final thoughts, we're just gonna give you some of our biggest uh, things that we're gonna remember from each each uh, medium. So, Eric, what about you? Um. I will remember Robert Pattinson preaching. It, it gave me. Um, have you seen this? This or there will be blood. Yes, a long time ago. It gave me like a Paul Dano vibes oh, a little bit, like yeah. when he's the preacher in like the little yeah shack. Um, I think I thought Robert Pattinson was really good. Yeah. I'm really. I tweeted this out yesterday on Little Lens at Little Lens on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I'm I'm glad I opened a Robin Hood account so I could buy some Robert Pattinson stock. <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that. That's a, that's how I, that's how I thought. So my yeah. big takeaway is Robert Pattinson is legit. Yeah. Um, Tom Holland, not jury's as, out. Not as legit. You know, there is a scene in the movie where Robert Pattinson is sitting in the front pew of his church. Tom Holland comes in with this like hat drawn over his eyes, pointing a gun. And then he just like sits down and they have a scene together. Mm. And I was ready for that scene to be fucking awesome. Yeah. And Tom Holland is just looking down with his hat pulled over his eyes. And it's like the most unengaging yeah. first like five minutes. And then it starts to pick up a little bit as Tom Holland is like, actually, I am Arvin Russell. Right, right, you right. know, Lenora. Right. Um, you gave her a baby. But that was this fucking scene. And it just, it was a miss. Yeah. And as soon as that scene missed, I was like, all right. Well, now Tom Holland is... He's not as, yeah. He can't, like, battle it out with, like, the top. Yeah, yeah. it was like a showdown. It was like a one-on-one. Yeah, like, actor, that's mono, true. Mono. I wonder if they thought about it like that. They're like... They probably do, right? Got my big scene with Robert today. Yeah, in the moment, it's probably, like, a big, big moment for him. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, that was a, that was certainly a missing. But I do agree with you. Robert Pattinson was, like... He was certainly... He was just weird enough to pull that off. Yeah. Like, so that he did... He, he's, a he's a weird guy. Like, yeah. I, I do feel like he's not sexual anymore yeah like nothing he's about not a him. sex icon yeah or whatever yeah. nothing about him is like that anymore 
No, I, I, you know, it's funny. I kind of think that he like is battling. Like this is the reason why he went down this path, is because of that like sex icon status that he got from Twilight, um, and all the attention that came with that. I'm sure it was like hard to deal with. I think this, that's why he kind of turned in this direction. He's like, fuck this. I want to be like a real actor kind of thing. Sort of like Leo. Like Leo, never really has like relationships on screen. Where he's always making himself ugly, like Ryan Gosling always yeah. making himself ugly. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt is always like stuffing his face with food. Yeah, yeah. There must be something to like having this like pop culture aura about you yeah. and wanting to fight against it. I'm sure it's exhausting. Like all yeah. the all this all the like every time you do like promo for a movie, you're probably getting all these like sexually uh, suggestive like questions from reporters and stuff, like or whatever. Yeah. Um it it probably always comes up. Um, so yeah, I'm people sure don't care about the work; they just care about like the hotness. Yeah, he's pretty hot, so fair enough. So that's what I'll take away from the movie. What about you? Uh, the movie, um, probably Sebastian Stan or or the delusion. I think the de- what you said, the delusions uh, quote, is just too good yeah. to forget. I think that that'll be a good the, uh, meme or a good a good Jeff. Yeah, definitely. That's probably the 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 best part of the movie. And that certainly stood out. What about um, anything from the book? Any visuals or quotes or anything like that? Not off the top of my head. Um, I really liked the book, though. The book was great. That's another one. Drink when I said really. So yeah. the book was great. Big fan. Yeah. Um, I, I would definitely read another book by uh, Donald Ray Pollock. He's got... Uh, I'd probably read the short story. The collection. Heavenly Table. Oh, yeah. The Malcolm Stiff. Malcolm Stiff. What so, a great name for a town, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll probably read that at some point okay. in the future. So I have a quote from a book I'd like to read to you. Okay. Are you ready for it? I don't know. (laughs) So, quote, Like my old mother used to say, he went on, You can't trust any of them. Who? Sandy said. Them goddamn redheads, he said. Hell, they'll spit out a lie, even when the truth fits better. They just can't help it. It's something got fucked up in their evolution. And Eric, you are a redhead. Is this something that when you read struck you? Yes. I think I highlighted it actually. Did you? <laughs> um, I reached out to Donald Ray Pollock for comment, but I haven't heard back. <laughs> but best be sure we'll, we'll be talking about this. Do you agree with the, his sentiment that he expressed? I think people are probably just a little jealous. Um, we're 4% of the population. It's pretty unique. Uh, yeah. We got our own little corner over here. Yeah. Just, we're just hiding from the sun, putting on SPF 50. <laughs> At some point, people thought uh, redheads were cool, you know? And it, well, it'll swing back. It's yeah. like fashion, you know? It's trendy. It's trendy one day, it's trendy the next. Or not trendy the next. It'll be back. Yeah, we'll be back. People start dyeing their hair red. Can you imagine? It's red. That'd be... <laughs> and actually, I mean, it would look ridiculous. Because I think would. you have to have a certain, like, complexion oh, for yeah, red hair to true. look normal. Yeah. Like, what? even blonde hair. Like, lighter hair doesn't always work on What's people. that, um... I don't know if it's, like, a surgery or it's, like, a pigment... Uh, discoloration or something, but like Sammy Sosa had it, and Michael Jackson had it. Yeah, but what I think it? that's just like a natural. Oh, it's not like a. Uh, no, I was saying I was gonna say people would like do that and then dye their hair red. That'd be some like a, what is it like Clockwork Orange? Yeah. Level of shit. Oh my god! Yeah, fuck. It's another fucking little ones podcast. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> so let's sign off, um, Eric. What's coming up in our next episode? Next episode, we are relitigating with um, our good friend, Mr. Charles, the 2010 Oscar Best Picture decision. 
um, where Social Network lost to uh, the King's Speech. You can't say that the King's Speech was a winner? No. Uh, I, the Social Network lost. That's the yeah. words. My words were selected very uh, <laughs> carefully. It should be a good episode, I think. I think you, as well as Mr. Charles, are doing your due diligence and um, coming up with research and evidence to prove why one is better than the other and what what should have won. Yeah, I'm so doing a lot of be... opposition research. I'm, I'm going to uh, stream I... the, the film Cats <laughs> oh God. from last year. <laughs> R.I.P. Tom. I'm going to come correct with my opinions. It should be a good episode. I'm excited to moderate and listen to what you guys have to say. Hopefully it's uh, civil and doesn't get out of hand, but we'll... We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> and then, uh, as always, shout out that motherfucker, Shia LaBeouf. Um, there was a recent video of him uh, on the... Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, the... What do they, they call it? A read? Uh, table, table read. Table read. Yeah. Where he was just clearly zonked out of his mind, not paying attention, dancing in his car. And if you haven't seen it, please go see it, because it's certainly worth your time. But I hope, you, hope you're doing well. I uh, hope you're listening to the pod, Shia, and, um, you know... Call us back, text us, whatever you want to do, and come on the pod. We'd love to have you. We love you. We miss you. See you next time. Good night. Oceans. Eve in the garden. Noah, naked, drunk, bringing shame upon his family. The idol the Jews bowed before in the desert. And even the Lord Jesus himself was presented with delusions in the desert that only through his faith and his strength overcame. The Lord's delusion in the desert was a game of the so-called devil. And what the Lord experienced was a delusion that would have kept him from saving us. But he did not fall for it. It is our delusions that lead us to sin. Striking a mother or a wife for something that you thought they said. Neglecting work or Sunday service for that matter. Some girl gets a feeling for a fella and lets him have her holy gift. Delusions! Blaspheming the Lord in your mind and in your heart for some wrong done to you by another person.